want you to know that we dig into the word as best as we can to understand what God has for us so that we might be able to grow in it. Um, I'll tell you, though, that the passage that we're in this morning is not a particularly easy passage. Um, we talked about it in staff as I was reading this week. I was like, Lord, I don't know how, uh, as a believer, yet to understand what I'm reading. And as a teacher, I don't yet know how to teach what you have here. And so over the past week, uh, the Lord and I have just kind of been uh, working this out. And uh, what we get to deliver here is what I feel like the Lord has led us to. And uh, so what um, I want you to do is just be aware that the Spirit is at work in the room. Um, and that uh, he will apply the truth that needs to be applied to your heart this morning. And so we are going to faithfully, as best as I can, walk through this passage. Um, and uh, I've actually enjoyed the process of grappling with it. And, and I pray that as you uh, work with it too, that you'll enjoy the process of grappling with it. Just mentally as we sit here and as you go home and you, and you read over it. Um, but also that you just allow the spirit to uh, plug the things in that needs plugged in for you to apply the things. And so um, we're going to dive in here. Uh, and I'm going to start with uh, this idea of, of a fruit tree. Um, and just say, you know, a, a fruit tree um, with no fruit is at best confusing, right? A fruit tree with no fruit, I would say, is, is sad. Uh, when we were uh, living in New York, um, we, uh, went, we bought a house, and in the backyard, there's a peach tree. Now, I never had a peach tree, don't know how peach trees work. But when we moved in, the peach tree was full, and it was lush, and it had peaches on it. And I'm going to tell you what, some of the best peaches I ever had in my life, Okay. And so we harvested the peaches from the tree that year, and we were just blessed by it. And then the following year, we're expecting that there's going to be fruit on the tree again. And so we're waiting, and nothing's happening. We're waiting, and nothing's happening. The next year, like, nothing shows up on the tree. It's like, well, that's not a very good tree. Um, and then so the next year, we're waiting, and there's something popped on there, but it was, like, really, like it was icky. It wasn't very good. And we're like, what is going on with this tree? Now, I don't know if that's, like, just the normal course of how peach trees work. But for us, it was like, man, we were just confused by how this is supposed to go down. A few years ago, um, Joseph, do you all remember Joseph, one of our missionaries in India? Um, he came to visit us a few years ago. And when he uh, came, um, he uh, hung out with us. He hung out at our house. We had a great time with him. But we were driving one afternoon. And while we were driving home, uh, we drove past Jeff and Karen Brayfield's house. Now, that's just right down the road from, from where we live. And in the corner of their yard, there's an apple tree. In there, and so as we're driving by, Joseph's like, "Stop the car!" I was like, "What the world?" And so I hit the brakes. I'm like, and I'm expecting like something is wrong, like we're about to blast something. And, and I'm like, Joseph, like, why are we stopping the car? He's like, "Is that an apple tree?" And, and I said, "Yeah, that's an apple tree." And uh, he said, "Can can we go see it?" And I said, "Yeah, we can go see it, but like I don't understand what the big deal is about this apple tree." Uh, and he he's, he said, "I've never seen an apple tree before." See what? Everybody's seen an apple tree. He said, no, where we live, like there's no apple trees anywhere around us. I've eaten apples. I've seen apples, but I've never actually seen an apple tree. It takes a two-day uh, two train ride to get to the bottom of the mountains where the, where the apples grow, where he's from, in order to see an apple tree. And I said, okay, I can understand a little bit of uh, what's going on here. And so I said, okay, let, let me call Jeff and see if it's possible if we can go and walk around his yard and check out their apple tree. Because I don't want to get shot just rolling around in somebody's yard, right? And so I send him a, send him a message, and I, I say, hey, Jeff, can we come check out the apples? Uh, and he said, yeah, sure, come on. Uh, there's all kinds of apples out there. And so we go, and guys, Joseph was mesmerized. Like he is looking at the apples, and he's touching the apples, and he's taking pictures of the tree, and he's taking pictures. I'm like, hey, take a picture of me with the apples so I can send back home. And I'm like, this is crazy. And, and like I was excited for him, but I also, also thought it was hilarious. And uh, 
he got to see an apple tree with fruit on the branches. Well, fast forward a, a few years, um, just this past year, you remember Prashant, one of our other pastors from India, he came in to visit as well. And one of the first things that he said when he got here, he's like, hey, you think we can go see that apple tree that Joseph took pictures of? <laughs> I said, what is it with this apple tree? And uh, so I said, sure, we can, go, we can go check out this apple tree. And so I sent Jeff a message, said, Jeff, can we come check out the tree? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And uh, he said, but you need to know that right now, um, it's been a really bad year for, for the apples because they haven't had enough water and whatnot. So there's some apples out there, but it's pretty sparse. And I said, okay, but I, I'm pretty sure he's going to appreciate being able to see it anyway. And so uh, we go out there, and sure enough, it, it was true that the tree, it was, it was pretty sparse um, than the, the previous years. But they still, they took pictures with the apple tree. And so he and his wife, Archana, they're out there with whatever apples they can find pulling down from the tree. And uh, they're taking apples. And so they got to see an apple tree or a fruit tree with fruit on the branches. Now suppose we keep playing that story out. And another friend comes to visit. And he or she has heard reports that there is a great apple tree in Nebraska and Ashland that they just have to see. And when they show up this time, when they're expecting to see this beautiful fruit on the tree, they don't see anything except for branches and, and leaves. The tree is completely empty. What happens when you expect to see fruit on a tree and when you get to see it, there's no fruit actually there? Guys, I want to say in the life of, of believers, there's an internal expectation that as we grow, that we are going to mature in our faith. Now, that doesn't mean that as we grow in our faith that we're going to be perfect. Like we're going to, we're going to have mistakes, we're going to mess up, we're going to blow up from time to time. But the grace of the Lord Jesus and his blood, it covers that, right? And so we don't stay in that mess up, we continue forward in our faith and we grow up into maturity, right? But there's this expectation that as we walk with Christ, that we're going to start to look more and more like who he's already made us to be, right? When we trust Christ, he puts his righteousness inside of us. He puts Christ inside of us. It's Christ in us. The Holy Spirit is living in us, okay? And with that, we have all the righteousness that belongs to him now belongs inside of us. And we are to live that out. And so day by day, as we walk and mature in faith, we should begin to look more and more like who he's already made us to be. Okay? Does that make sense? In Mark chapter 11, we're going to see a tree that has no fruit on it. And we're going to see um, what to do when you see a tree that has no fruit on it and what you do with that. Okay? There's something that we need to know, though, as we're in the book of Mark here. We've been walking through the passage, we, or we've been walking through the book, and we're now here. And we're seeing some, something different in Mark's writing. The way that Mark likes to write is he likes to create these truth sandwiches, where he tells you something at the top of the story, and then he leaves the story, and he talks about something what feels like totally different, and it gets wonky, and it gets confusing, and then he gives another layer on the bottom of the sandwich that kind of concludes, and it wraps everything up. Now, if we were to take one part of the sandwich, we would be totally confused at the top. If we were to just take the middle piece of it and not connect it to the top and the bottom, we would be confused. All three parts have to go together if we're going to understand what Mark's saying here, okay? So that's what's going on here. So when you read it, if you just stop, like, if, like at home when I was reading this, I'm like, I don't understand how these three sections go together. It just feels wonky. As a teacher, I don't know how to teach 
these three sections together. I was like, Lord, you're going to have to do something here. And so here, here's what I think is happening, okay? Mark, he's going to talk about a tree, a fig tree that has no fruit on it. Then we're going to see Jesus in the temple acting in a way that is totally un, uh, uncustomary to the way that we're, we're used to seeing him act. And then he's going to go back to that tree, okay? And somewhere in the middle of this truth sandwich, um, there's a truth that Israel needed to hear in order that they might grow up. And I think as we read it now, there's a truth that we desperately need to hear in the culture of the church that we're growing up in so that we learn to bear fruit and not just be stagnant believers. Are you with me? Okay, so I think this is vitally important for us. And I think the best thing that, that we could hope for is that as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would grow up and we would have spiritual fruit hanging on the branches of our tree. And on the opposite, and that, that's by staying connected to Jesus. We cannot produce that fruit on our own. But I think the opposite is true too, that one of the worst things that we could do as a believer in Christ is just to go day by day totally disconnected from Jesus and expecting maybe that there's going to be fruit, but it's not showing up. Or to, to know that you're supposed to be disconnected or supposed to be connected, and, you're just like, and you don't care, you just live kind of flippantly. So day by day, just kind of flowing along, not growing up, and not growing uh, fruit. So what I want to do is I want us to dive in here to chapter 11, um, starting in verse 12, and I want us to check out what Mark has for us. And so we're in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. Here we go. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who saw. Now, this is a totally different section. This is the middle section of that sandwich, right? He's shifting gears. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard him and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Now, here's the bottom layer of the sandwich. We're shifting back into the fig tree and a little extra sprinkled in. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you curse is withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, say so that uh, if you forget, if if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Would you pray with me? So, Father, we've, uh, we've read your word, um, and we just expect that you're going to do something in it for our hearts and our situations individually where we're at. I know that you're going to teach us through your spirit, but I pray that what you give us here, that we would just walk away 
with application, Father, that you would do that work in our hearts. Um, We want to come and we want to grow, but um, there's nothing that we have that is good apart from your work, apart from being connected to you. So would you just do that work in us right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're diving in here into verse 12. And so um, if you want to put some handles on this or if if you're kind of a... um, uh, an outline person, here, here's the first thing that you can grab here. In verse 12, um, you, could, you could say something like this, uh, a fruit tree with no fruit. You could label it like that. This is a fruit tree with no fruit. Now, Jesus and his disciples here, they're, they're waking up in Bethany. And we said last week that when he gets to Bethany, he's got friends in Bethany, so he's likely staying at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. And so they've likely had a good evening hanging out together, uh, but Jesus knows where he's heading, Right? He knows that he's heading to Jerusalem, and he knows why he's heading to Jerusalem, right? He's already said it three times up to this point. We talked about that last week. He's, he's told the disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be killed. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be killed. Hey, in case nobody was listening, I want you to know, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be killed. I'm going to die there. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to go to a cross He knows why he's going there. He's going to go take on the sin of the world. He's going to go take their sin, your sin, my sin. He's taking on sin, and he is going to die for the world. And he knows that this is getting ready to go down. And so let let me just say this. If you don't know Jesus, if you're in here and and you've not yet started a relationship with him, if he's not yet wooed your heart to him and and you've said, yes, Lord, I'm in, I want to follow, I want you to know. That Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, whether you want to believe it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, whether you're there yet or not, he died for you. And he would do it again, a thousand times over, for you. Not just the person who's sitting to your left or to your right. He went to the cross and he died for you, for your sin. And his sin is, or his, his, his um, uh, payment on the cross, his blood there is good enough to cover even your sin. I want you to know that. Because when we're talking here about what Jesus is going to the cross and why he's going to Jerusalem, that's what he's doing. Everything that we read in the book of Mark, everything that we read in the Gospels, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, it's all been building to the moment of him going to the cross for this, for for this purpose. And so they're walking into Jerusalem, and on the way there, um, Mark says that Jesus was hungry. That's an interesting thing to put in the passage. Right? Jesus was hungry. And I think this is really cool that Mark includes this, right? Because as people who want to understand our faith, as people who want to grow up and mature in him, we want to know that every facet of our faith, we want to know every facet of our Savior. And for him to say that Jesus was hungry, it gives us a window into the humanity of Jesus. That even while he was on earth, he hungered. Like, he, he, he got hungry. So this is the human side. So when we think of Jesus, we, we typically think, well, he's our Savior, he, he's, he's, our, he, he's divine, he's the king, he is holy, and he is perfect. And yes, he is every one of those things, and you'd be correct in thinking that. You'd be theologically in the right place. But he's also human, totally human. And he was human so that he could stand in the gap for you. He's human so that he could go to the cross for you. So that he could physically and spiritually be able to take your place, our place. And now Mark says, This Savior God, who is completely human, he's hungry. Now, I want you to put yourself into the story, right? We're we're talking first century, 
um, a world that we're unaccustomed to right now. This is first century countryside. So there's no runza when somebody gets hungry. There's no Chick-fil-A. As holy as Chick-fil-A is and divine and good as it is, there's no Chick-fil-A there in the side of the hill in Bethany. There's no drive through that they can go to. And so when they get hungry, that's not, the, that's not what they resort to. There are fruit trees. There are trees with fruit hanging around. And in the distance, in verse 13, what Mark says, he says that Jesus sees a fig tree in leaf. If you write in your Bible, if you highlight in your tablet or phone, I want you to highlight or, or, or circle that. Um, because this is Mark's way of telling us that the trees are in full bloom. And when you see a tree that's in full bloom from a distance, you expect that when you get there, you're going to find fruit on that tree. Right? But I want you to also keep going in that verse, and I want you to circle this too. When Jesus gets there and he gets up close to the tree, there's nothing there but leaves on the tree. Because apparently it wasn't the season for figs. So if you got those two circles, I want you to draw a line between the two because there's a connection. He goes and he sees the tree, expects there to be fruit on there. There's no fruit on there. Okay? And so this is what happens next. Well, let me say this first. This is kind of like the 30-foot rule. Is anybody familiar with the 30-foot rule? If it looks good from 30 foot, it's probably good. But when you get up closer to it, you see the, fault, the faults and you see the, the flaws in it. So if you're a carpenter and you, or if you're a rookie carpenter and you're just getting started and you, and you put some joints together and you're building something, you step back from 30 feet like, and that looks good. And everybody else says, man, that's really good work. But when you get up closer to it and you're right up on it, everybody sees that wood filler, right? Everybody sees like the stuff that you're filling and, and like, but it's okay, like you're a rookie, you're trying to figure this out passes a 30-foot test, but doesn't pass the up-close test. If you're a painter, you paint a fence, you paint a house, you're just getting started, and you look at it like 30-foot back, man, that looks really good. You get close, you're like, oh, man, I missed that area. We missed that area. This is, it's the 30-foot rule, right? And so Jesus, from way back, he sees this tree, and it looks good from the outside. So they're standing there, and they're hungry. And to have a little fun with the story, I don't know if if they get hangry here or what? Because they're hungry, it's the morning, they're on a walk, they're heading into Jerusalem, they're, they're getting ready to go down. Because the next thing that happens here is Jesus curses the tree. He says, may no one ever eat from you again. I came to get fruit from you, it's not there. May nobody ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples hear that. And that's the end. That's the end of that section. There's no explanation there's no figuring out that. And if you were to read this section and, and, and just leave that on its own, you're like, huh? Like, what am I supposed to tell? What, what is this about? If you were to stop there, it'd be so confusing. We'd walk away and be like, man, what am I supposed to take away from this? How am I supposed to grow from this section? You look at your spouse like, well, babe, I, I guess we're not supposed to eat figs anymore. I mean, they're cursed. I, I guess we can't eat fig newtons anymore. Like those little breakfast bars that have figs, I guess those are off the list now. It's, it's all cursed. If you were to walk away with just that section, it's confusing. But if you were to keep reading on of what Mark is doing here, you're going to see that he's setting up a visual illustration of a spiritual truth that is about to be exposed. That tree that he's talking about, it represents Israel. They'd stopped bearing fruit, and they'd stopped bearing fruit a long time ago. They were a tree that had branches, but there was no fruit on the branches. From a distance, it looked like everything was great. It looked like they were following God. But when you get up closer, when you break that 30-foot rule, what happens is you can tell that there's no fruit on the tree. And that tree is nothing but leaves. It looks beautiful from a distance, but when you get close, nothing there. 
I want to give you a, just a quick history on, on, is, on Israel to bring you up to this point, just a little bit of background. Israel, they were supposed to be a tree that had fruit growing on it, in season and out of season. Always to have fruit, always to be a blessing to those who would come to them. They were supposed to be the example. You're supposed to be the example of what a surrender life looked like. Israel was supposed to be the example of what a sacrificial life was supposed to look like. They were to be the example of what joy in your life was supposed to look like. Even when things are going crazy, there's supposed to be joy. And that's what God had said to Abraham when, he's, uh, when he began setting Israel apart. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, when, when God calls Abraham and he tells him to, to leave this land and to go off and he's going to bless him and he's going to um, have all kinds of sons and his seed, like just look at the stars of the sky, right? He says, I'm going to bless you and in you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That was Israel's job. There would be a blessing to all the nations. But what had happened was, as the nation as a whole, and led by their religious leaders, they had corrupted God's intent. Instead of being a blessing, they've become a burden on people. Instead of leading people to the heart of God, they, they led people towards legalism and following the law to their way of doing things and everything that they kept adding. And I'm going to tell you, that looks so good on the outside, but when you get close to it, there is no fruit on that tree. What looks like fruit is rotten to the core. And so I want you to see how this plays out in the temple. And so if you want to put another handle on this next section, here's what you could say. You could write something like, this is a, a people with no fruit. So we've seen a tree with no fruit. Now we're going to see the people with no fruit here. In verse 15 and 16, y'all with me? I, we're, like we're, we're digging in here. Like this, I mean, we're just walking through. We're trying to understand this together. In verse 15 and 16 here, you have Jesus. He is, uh, he's getting into to Jerusalem here. And the first thing that we see Jesus do when he goes into the temple is he starts tossing tables. And he starts chasing people out of the place. Things that we've never seen Jesus do up to this point. We read that and we go, whoa, what is happening here? Because all the way up into the book of Mark so far, we have seen, we have seen healings. We have seen miracles. We've seen demons being cast out. We've seen amazing teaching. We've never seen Jesus casting anybody out. We've never seen him pushing people away. But right here... We see him going into the temple, the most holy place of Israel, and he pushes people out. And so we read that, and we're like, what's going on? Is Jesus having an overreaction? Is, is, he see, is he walked in the temple and just totally lost it and blown a gasket here? Is this an overreaction, or was it a calculated move by Jesus to make a point? I'm going to argue that Jesus had a calculated move here so that he could be making a point. Um, scripture, scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, um, verse 26, that it's okay to get angry. It's okay to get upset. Like if you're living your life trying to like, man, I never want to get angry or I just, I'm just beat myself up because I get angry. Listen, it's okay to get angry. It's okay to get upset. But according to Ephesians 4, just don't let your emotions lead you into a place of sin. Because when our emotions lead us out of anger and being upset and to lead us into sin and how we start treating people and acting, that gives Satan, it gives the devil, what Paul says, a foothold into our lives. And then the, the slope that you're on there is so slippery, you just start running into other things. And so when Jesus goes into the temple, he's not breaking the barrier here. He is angry, he is upset, but he is controlled. Because Jesus, he's already thought about what he's going to do. I want you to think about this. They walked that very same path the night before. They walked past that exact same fig tree the night before. 
They walk past, or they, they walk the same path into Jerusalem the night before what's going on right now. I want you to look at verse 11. This was the night before as they got into Bethany and they went into Jerusalem. So verse 11 says, and he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, okay, check that out. He walked into the temple and when he had looked around at everything, he sees what's going on in the temple. He sees the corruption that's taking place, okay? He knows what's happening. And as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. I don't know how y'all act when you see something that you want to interact on. Like, you're like, man, that needs to change. Or, like, we need to deal with that. Like, when you immediately see it, do you jump into the situation and just totally blow your top? Like, it's like, man, I'm coming in with all the heat. Like, like, if we did what Jesus did here, like, see the situation and then step back and get a little bit calculated, know what my next steps are going to be, our marriages might look a little bit different, right? Like, I got my emotions in control before we start having this conversation. Our friendships, our relationships around us might look a little bit different if I have my emotions under control, and then we walk into the conversation. Jesus here, he sees what's going on, and then he's making a plan. So when he walks into the temple on this day, he's not like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Like, I didn't expect to see this. He already saw it, because he saw it the night before, and he has a plan of action. So what makes Jesus so angry here? That he would go in and he would start flipping tables. Well, the short answer, there is a short answer, but I think there's a longer explanation of that. The short answer is what makes him so angry is the leaders. The leaders in Israel. Um, that's why he's flipping tables. They had the appearance of doing the right thing. It looked like fruit on the tree. But when you got closer to the tree, you saw that it was just a mirage. Um, here's what they were doing. I don't think we can totally bash the religious leaders. Um, there is a stress and a heaviness that you carry when you lead. So I don't want to be too heavy on them. But Jesus is being pretty heavy on them too. Um, I think they probably started well. And they did start well. I think they had good intentions of leading God's people well. But over time, their way of doing things had started becoming the only way of doing things. They started to point everybody towards them instead of pointing everybody towards God. They created rules and regulations and systems that were outside of scripture in order to help people make sure that they weren't even getting close to sin. And they held to their legalism in the way that they were going to do things and said, you've got to follow me. And so people did. They started following them instead of following God. And so that what happened is as people began to follow them, they used that authority to begin to take advantage of people. They ended up setting up a religious system that terrified anyone who would get out of line. If you got out of line, you'd be ostracized and you'd be isolated away from the religious community. And not only would you be isolated from um, doing ch what we would call church or going to the temple, um, that community, but you'd be isolated and pushed out of the social community as well. You either do it our way or you don't do it at all or you either follow the way that we do it or we're going to run you out of town on a pole. And it had even made its way into the temple, the place where people could come and they could pray and they could get close to God. The temple was supposed to be a place of prayer. The temple was supposed to be a place of sacrifice. It was supposed to be a place where uh, people from all over the world could come and they could learn about God. The God who so faithfully loved his people, who so faithfully led his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. Like he's moving them there. And, and hearing about this God and hearing about his love and his compassion and his power and his might. and create, like to, When you hear about him, the intent was if you hear about him, then you're going to love him too and want to follow him. And so people from Jerusalem 
would come, or people would come to Jerusalem from all over the world um, in order to be at the temple to pray, to sacrifice, and to learn. Now, here's the problem. If you're not from Jerusalem, you had to travel all kinds of miles in order to get into Jerusalem to make those sacrifices. So knowing that, the religious leaders, they said, we're just going to make this easy on you. Just come to the temple, and we're going to give you everything you need. Don't have to worry about packing your, your goats. You don't need to pack all your animals. You, you just, we're going to make it easy. You just get here, and we'll have it covered for you. And so this is what they did. They said, don't bring a sacrifice. Just get here, and when you do, buy one of our animals. And so the sacrificial animals that they would sell inside of the temple, they would set the price so astronomically high that if you didn't have the funds to buy the sacrifice, you were ostracized and you were moved out. You were not allowed to come into worship. And so some people were able to worship because they had the money. Some people weren't able to worship because they had no money. But they were the only game in town. And so if you wanted to go sacrifice, you had to buy um, from them if you were an, uh, a foreigner. Now... Not only that, but the only way that you could sacrifice and buy the sacrificial animal was the money that you brought in. You had to exchange your money um, because this was common currency that had been rotated out in the marketplace, which was considered tainted money. You had to exchange your money for temple money. And the exchange rate on that was also astronomically high. But they were the only game in town. And so this sounds pretty scandalous, doesn't it? It, it was. It was pushing people away from being able to come and worship God. And so when Jesus shows up and sees this, he's obviously, he's not happy. He's not a happy camper about this. These religious leaders, they've taken a place that was dedicated for prayer, a place that was dedicated for sacrifice and for learning about the God who saves and the God who loves, and they've turned it into a den of thieves, or as Mark says here, a den of robbers, verse 17. And he <clears throat> was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? So what would make Jesus act this way, the way that we're so totally unaccustomed to seeing him act? What would cause him to be so zealous that he would walk into the temple, the most holy place in Israel, and, and flip the tables, uh, drive people out? Well, I think the corruption, to be for starters, but I think he sees this religious group of people, and they look like there's fruit on the tree. But the closer you get, it becomes so obvious, so painfully obvious, that there are leaves on that tree, but there are no fruit. There's no fruit. There's no connection to God. They, they were people with no fruit. And even worse yet, they were leading other people into a lifestyle of having no fruit as well. And so when Jesus sees this, he is irate. And so he goes into the temple. It's not the first time that he's seeing this. He's aware that there's been no fruit, and there's been no fruit for a long time. And just like the fig tree that Jesus shut down, he's shutting down the temple as well. So there's the connection between the fig tree and the temple. The fig tree gets shut down because there's no fruit there. He's walking into the temple, and he's shutting things down because there's no fruit there. What looks like fruit, what looks like there should be fruit, it's not, and he is, he's exposing that. Now, a side note here in verse 18 is that you can imagine that the leaders who have set this religious system up would be irate with anybody who would want to come and shut it down, right? Especially with Jesus. They've been tracking with him, and they've already had interactions with him, and they're already angry with him. This little incident in the temple would have been like somebody walking into Wall Street and pulling all the plugs and shutting down all trading. And so everything shuts down. Can you imagine that? 
Like the world goes crazy over something like that. This is what Jesus, he's gone in and he's pulled the plug. The animosity that they've already had towards Jesus, man, it just starts to get more intense. And from this moment, they're not just angry with Jesus. Now the scriptures say they're looking for a way to kill him. They're looking for a way to take him out. They're, 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 they're looking for a way to get rid of him because now he's not just teaching. He's not just doing miracles. He's not just casting out demons. The problem that they have now is that he's threatening their way of life. He's threatening their authority. He's threatening to take away what they've worked so hard to hold on to. And he's coming and he's upsetting what has been going on. And so you can imagine there, there's tension. And here's what Mark says in 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it. And, and they were seeking a way to destroy him. That's to take him out. For they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Look at that. At his teaching. Not their teaching. Not astonished by them anymore. But astonished at Jesus' teaching. So verse 14. After this little incident, they left the city and they go back to Bethany. And so we close that little middle section. And now we're about to get into the next section. When they came back on the way into Jerusalem, here in verse 20, they passed by the fig tree and it's withered. All the, like it's withered down all the way to its roots in verse 20. Um, you can see that the tree is dead. There was no fruit to start with. Now it is clear. What's interesting about that image for me as I was reading this, that that tree now is revealing what has been true of that tree all along. Now it can't fool anybody anymore because it's been exposed. That tree has had no fruit on it, has had no ability to have fruit on it, and now people are able to see it, and they can't be fooled by that anymore. Here's the underlay, if you want to put a handle on it. This is a, a people with faith results in fruit. You've had a tree with no fruit, you've had a people with no fruit, but what does it look like to be a people with faith who have fruit on the branches? If that if that fig tree is supposed to be a visual example of a spiritual truth, what it's saying is that just because the tree looks like it has fruit on it doesn't mean that there is. Just because it looks good on the outside doesn't mean that it's good on the inside. Just because everything looks like it's fine on the outside doesn't mean that the inside's not, not struggling and, and falling apart. And if, if you want to have a faith that's going to bear fruit, um, I, th I think this is what Mark says it's going to look like here in verse 22. So um, throw that up there. And Jesus answered them. And he says, have faith in God, which is really weird because they've, they've uh, just been astonished by this. And they've asked him some things. And his response is, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what, what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And there are so many people who have taken this verse out of context. And it has become name it and claim it and prosperity, like whatever you want you can achieve. And if you just, no, this is not what Jesus was talking about. But when we read it, we're like, whoa, that sounds a lot like we can pray for whatever we want. And God's going to give us everything that we want, right? Like we pray, we put it in the machine, we pull the handle, and out pops the answer that we want to hear. Like he's going to answer every prayer that we have the way that we want him to pray. Um, I don't want you to raise any hands because I feel like it would be very painful for all of us. But how many of us are praying for things right now and you haven't received it and you're angry at God? 
How many of you have been praying for things in the past and God still hasn't answered it the way that you wanted it to come through? And you're angry at him because he's supposed to give you everything that you want. And we, and we take verses like this, and we don't have it, and we say, well, it says whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it, and it's going to be yours. If Jesus says that, then why don't I have what I've been praying for? Some of us are still bitter and angry at God because we're praying, and they're not going, he's not doing what we want. Bank account still looks the same. Housing situation still looks the same. Our marriage hasn't changed. Our kids don't have what we wanted them to have. Like, there, there's so much that we pray for. And anger and angst can begin to, to pull in when he hasn't answered the way that we want. But do you remember John 15? John 15, particularly chapter five, or verse, verse 5, it's the famous, I'm the vine, you're the branches uh, verse. And we're going to throw it up here. here. Here's what Jesus says in John 15. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from him, what are we able to do? When we're connected with him, that's when things start happening. But apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. If anybody does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 6 there is a verse for another day. It's a whole other thing. But this idea of if we are connected to Jesus, things grow. If we're disconnected from him and we're expecting him to show up and do the things that we're asking him to do, how is that going to happen? Because nothing apart from him is going to happen. When you're connected to the power source, things happen. When you're disconnected from the power source, things are dead. That's what he's talking about. A vine, a branch disconnected from the vine, it can't grow. And so there's something uniquely uh, positioned here in verse 22 that Jesus says that I think he presses in and it, we, he just throws it in and it feels like it's totally out of context. They're talking and he says, have faith in God. Like, well, where's that coming from? Like, we didn't ask about that. No, he says, have faith in God. Now, who's he say to have faith in? God. Yeah, yeah, you can answer. Have faith in God. He doesn't say have faith in self. He doesn't say have faith in a friend. Not, not have faith in your spouse, although you want to trust in those areas. He says, have faith in God, not faith in self. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes we get the whole vine and branches thing twisted up, don't we? Um, sometimes we start to believe that maybe we're the vine, and we start to make things grow, or things start to happen because we're connected in that way. Um, we think that we're the one that gives life, that it has to go through us, in order if it's going to be ripe. And the fruit that grows from the tree of when you think that you're the vine and not the branch, it's the fruit of selfishness. It's the, the fruit of self, it, it's the, the fruit of self-righteousness. It's the fruit of self-centeredness. And um, what happens with that is on the outside it looks good. But on the inside it's just falling apart. Because now people become a resource for you to use, um, systems become a resource for you to use, um, everybody's at your beck and call, and when they don't follow the way that you want them to follow, and they put a monkey wrench into the plan, if they disagree with the way that you're running, then they become 
the enemy. And there's this tension. But when you have the right order and you're connected to the vine, we don't start praying self-centered kind of prayers. We start praying prayers that, uh, Jesus, I want what you want. Jesus, I, I want to be in line with you. I want to be connected to you. Uh, and what happens when you start praying, Jesus, I want what you want, there's spiritual fruit that starts popping up out, out on your branches. Um, there's uh, that self-centeredness stuff, it begins to fall off. And now there's things happening in your life because this isn't about you anymore. This is about Jesus, I want what you want. There's fruit that comes from that tree that gets connected to Jesus. We call it spiritual fruit. Um, the fruits of the spirit, and there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And all of a sudden, when we're praying, Jesus, I want what you want, not, hey, Jesus, I want what I want. Give me what I need and give it to me now. And if you don't give it to me now, then I'm done. Because when we start to pray, Jesus, I want what you want, um, our actions start matching our faith. Our faith begins to see fruit popping up. And when we would otherwise begin to lose our cool, patience starts showing up. When we are prone to um, depression or prone to just being angry and angst, like joy begins to replace in those spaces. Um, when we are prone to just losing control, there's self-control that begins to show up. Jesus, I want what you want. And when we pray that, I think we start to see God show up in ways that maybe we haven't seen before, and then he starts moving mountains to answer the prayer. It's not that we're moving mountains. He's moving the mountains because we have our faith in him and not our faith in, our, in ourself. And so verse 22 or 24, when he says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you received it and it's gonna be yours. That's not a health and wealth and that's not a prosperity. That's not, um, it, it's not a name it and claim it. This is praying according to God's will. When you pray connected to me, and I want to give, I want to unleash the heavens for you. I want to give you every spiritual blessing that I can give to you. When you are praying connected to me, like I want to give you those things and you will have those things. And so I want to ask you, what are you praying for? What are, what are you praying for? And I'm going to say what you're praying for, uh, I believe is an indicator of what fruit's going to show up on your tree. If you're praying selfish things, you're, you're going to see selfish stuff begin to show up on your tree. If you're praying, Jesus, I want what you want, I think you're, uh, you're going to start seeing spiritual fruit growing on uh, that tree. And I'm going to be honest with you, just from my own experience, that bearing fruit, it's not always easy. And I'm going to tell you, like, we don't produce the fruit, right? He produces the fruit in us. So we're, we're not bearing, like, we're branches that are holding the fruit that he produces in us. But I'm going to tell you, it's not always easy because in, in, in season or out of season or in, in different seasons, um, sometimes that looks a little bit different. There are things that we go through sometimes that just kind of knock us back on our heels. And we're like, man, I don't know. Like you, you get the, uh, um, the results from the test. You're like, I don't know how to handle that. Like, God, why would you? And you're back on your heels until your theology catches up with you again. Um, you're in a, in a rough relationship. You're like, I don't know how to handle this. And you're back on your heels and you weren't expecting that. And it may stunt your growth for, for, for a bit, but I'm convinced that he who began a good work in you will bring that to completion in you, right? I'm convinced of that because that's his word. And, and I think one thing for certain that makes it really difficult to move forward and to grow, and I think, and I think Mark is slipping this in here through Jesus' words, is the seed of bitterness and unforgiveness that begins to fester in us sometimes. 
that, that, like there's anger in a relationship or something has happened, and then there's a seed of bitterness. And we think that if we're by being bitter or being angry or having this tension, that it's going to hurt the other person. Like it's not, it, it, it's, hurting, it's hurting you. Um, so Jesus says here, that's the, when you're praying, forgive. If you're holding on to a grudge, it's not hurting anybody else. Um, it's hurting you. It's keeping you from growing. It's keeping your tree from bearing fruit. I, Mike caught me as we were wa- as he was walking up the stage here a minute ago, and he, he reminded me of just that that visual image um, that bitterness and angriness and, and hate sometimes it's like uh, drinking the poison and expecting that it's going to hurt the other person. It's just not. This root of unforgiveness or this root of bitterness is, is it desperately gets in the way of being able to have fruit on our tree. It's just, it's just hard to do. And so uh, I think the encouragement here is to forgive, to let it go, and, and, and move on. And, and that may be all that you need to hear from everything that we've just talked about. Like this one word that Jesus just forgive. And somehow in that, he says that is like when you forgive, it's connected to the forgiveness that you've received. How he connects that, I'm not sure. Exactly, um, but there's something that goes on with being able to forgive and how we forgive. We've been forgiven much that we should be able to forgive much. I think there's some, some, some tie-in with there. So here's the lesson I think we learned from the fig tree. Bearing fruit is directly linked to our faith. If my faith is in myself, I'm going to produce selfish fruit. If my faith is locked into God, I'm going to produce the fruit of the Spirit or fruits of the Spirit. So I'm going to ask you again. What are you asking for? What are you praying for? As an individual, what are you praying for? As a couple in your marriage, what are you, what are you praying for? What are you asking God to do in your marriage? What are you asking him to do in your kids? What are you asking him to do in your community? How are you asking him to use your gifts in the church that you are a part of? How are you asking, what are you praying for? What are you praying for? Here's the next question. Is what you're praying for, is it producing spiritual fruit? What you're praying for, are you growing? by what you're praying for. If not, I'm gonna ask you to pray for something else. Pray for something that is going to put fruit on your tree, that when people walk up, it's not just gonna be leaves that they see and it looks good from the outside, but there's gonna be some real fruit on, 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 on that thing, all right? Have the courage to pray, Jesus, I, I want you what you want. And so here's what I wanna do. I want you to um, close your eyes. I'm just gonna kinda, I wanna ask you to reflect on something real quick and, and then we're gonna be done. Worship team, you can go ahead and come up. I want you to take a moment to reflect on this. How is your faith, you ask this question, how is my faith bearing fruit? What is the fruit that's on my tree? Is that me fruit or is that God fruit? I think the second part of this is how am I demonstrating my trust in God through my actions, my obedience? There's fruit on the tree. If there's fruit on the tree, how am I I showing my trust in God with my actions?
Father, you're the, you're the vine, we're the branches. You produce the fruit, and we hold on to it. Um, there's, there's nothing that we can do that's apart from you. So if we're disconnected right now, Father, I pray that we would plug back in. Lord, that we would get into your word, that we would pray. Father, that we would allow you to do work in our heart. Um, we can't do that. Um, your spirit's got to do that in us. But would you give us even the desire to, to pray that, to, to, ask, to say, Jesus, I want what you want. So, Father, uh, for my friends in the room that are struggling, God, would you meet them in their space? friends in the room who don't yet know you father i pray that they would just realize that over two thousand years ago you laid down your life for your son jesus for them for them so that they could have a relationship with you and i pray right now where they would just cry out to you i believe help me in my unbelief accept you jesus father would you uh, help us grow deepest desire that we have is to be useful for you and fruitful for you. So would you do that, I pray.